You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. share with you some things that the Lord has. And I'm excited because for years, I I ministered this a lot in Perryville. And uh, it's, I guess it's my version of the Christmas message. And I think people, they didn't get tired of hearing it because it's the gospel and you're going to be super blessed for hearing it. But I felt like I needed to change things up. But now that I'm here with you guys, I have fresh meat. I have things to tell you that maybe you've never heard before, but you guys are pretty smart. You've probably heard a lot of these things. But I'm going to share some things with you that I, I hopefully will stretch you. I, I like stretching people. I feel like that if I've stood out behind the pulpit and I've ministered and I haven't stretched people and I haven't done my job. And so uh, that's, that's what I want to do. So I'm, I'm, what I need you to do is just be willing to allow me to share some things that might be a little bit different concerning the Christmas story or the Christmas message than maybe what you've heard before. But it's really, really going to help you, I promise. And the, the gist of what I want to get out tonight and I think everybody will, will hopefully will agree with this, is that God is not mad at us. And when I came into that understanding, I think it was probably maybe close to 20 years ago now, a little bit less, maybe 18. When I came into that understanding, it changed the way I looked at God. Because if your father... And God is our father, right? He really is a father first because we get born in or adopted in, both of those understandings work, into the family first. That's what we come into first. He's our father. Well, if you think your father is mad at you, you're not going to have a very good relationship with him. You might fear him, uh, not in maybe in a reverential way, but more like be afraid of him is the kind of relationship you would have. Uh, because you think that he's mad at you. And, uh, you know, I grew up with a natural father, just probably like a lot of you have. Maybe some of you weren't raised with a, a natural father. But, and he, he, was a, he was a good dad. He still is a good dad. And, uh, but there were times uh, that I thought he was mad at me. And a few times where he probably was mad at me for being, you know, the kid I was being or whatever. Uh, but whenever I had that view to where I, and, and oftentimes it probably wasn't even accurate, But because of what I was doing, I assumed that he was thinking a certain way towards me that he probably was not because I didn't understand his heart as a father. People do the same thing with the Lord. They look at themselves and their own actions, their own shortcomings and downfalls, and they often think that the Lord is looking at them in the same way that they look at themselves. And we have to come into a... The, the better, the right revelation, and that is that God is a father and he's not mad at us. As a matter of fact, we now, through Christ Jesus, have peace with God. A lot of people don't have peace within themselves concerning the Lord because they view the Lord through a messed up filter. Everybody views the Lord a particular way. And the, there's only one right way to view the Lord, and that's through the word of God. And if we can have the proper understanding of the word, and in particular, the gospel, then we can have the right view of who, of who God really is and how he sees us, how he views us. All, all, let me say this. Everything in this Bible from cover to cover 
So maps and everything, I guess, right? That's how people say it. But Genesis to Revelation, everything that's in here is absolutely, positively, 100% the truth. Amen. It's God's word. It's what we live by. And it, and it is our plumb line for everything. But do you know that not all of this is good news? It's all true, it's all God's word, but it's not all good news. Right. And Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good, news. the good news or the gospel. Both of those answers are correct. They mean the exact same thing. And so the reason he had them go and preach the good news, and in certain parts it says the good news of the gospel, the reason he did that is because Jesus came to set things in order I'll say back in order, like they were in the garden, to where it was kind of like the last, the last song we sang, it's me and you and you and me, to where we can just have this relationship with the Lord, and there's not anything hindering us from having a right relationship with our Father, and we have come into an understanding through the gospel, if we've received it and understand it, that God is not mad at us. He's not, I heard one guy say it like this, God's not mad at you. He's not upset at you. He's not even in a bad mood. Amen. And I agree with that. He's not angry at us. It doesn't mean that he doesn't see where we've missed it and where we need help and all of that. But he is a good, like the other song we, we sang, those songs lined up pretty good. Amen. He is a good, good father. He's a very good father. And even Jesus instructed the disciples, he said, when you pray, he didn't say recite all of these words and it's like a magic wand. Some people are like, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, the will be done. And it's like, whoa, do you even know what you're saying there? He said, pray in this manner. And the first thing he said is our Father which art in heaven. He didn't just say creator, although he is. He didn't say savior, although he is that also. God is, he, has, he, ha he wears many hats. But the first thing he is to us is our father. But if we have a messed up view of how God is or who God is, we won't relate to him properly. Flat out, we won't have a proper perspective on who God is as a father first. Amen. Maybe the most important revelation that we could ever have. The reason that Jesus came, it wasn't to change who God was because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever but it was to change people's perspective and understanding about who God was. Because Jesus said that when you have seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father is like, just look at Jesus. And the ultimate reality of who Jesus was, was making the choice to go to the cross to lay his life down for people. Folks, that's love. There's not anything that can be a greater description of what love is. And the Bible says that how, how can he... Who, who freely, he died for us, how will he not also freely give us all things? Sometimes we get this, this mentality, this warped understanding that doesn't come from who God is and it doesn't come from the good news of the gospel, but we think that we get saved and it's like there's a grace period, but the older you get in the, in the Lord, the less, the less the Lord likes you. And some of that could be because maybe, and this is serious, maybe you were raised in a house to where, uh, you know, you were cute and cuddly when you were younger, but the closer you got to teenage years or whatever, you were a little bit, you know, whatever. Well, I, 
I can understand because, you know, I got two teenagers here and we don't cuddle like we do with the little ones, right? We still love on them and hold them down and tickle them and all that. And I don't do that with them anymore. Uh, but I still do find ways to show them love. Usually it's in the form of dollar bills, but, you know, I, f <laughs> I find ways to show them I love. So, but sometimes in all reality, as we get older, if our parents didn't know how to find ways to love us where we were at, we could have actually felt unloved by them the older, the older we got. And I think that sometimes people view the Lord the exact same way. They get saved. They come into relationship with him. And it's like they, they want to be further along. They want to be better. They want to do things better. They want to be more right in their actions. And they view themselves. They think God is viewing them the way that they, they view themselves. But the truth is, is that God doesn't even have the capacity to view you in a negative way. It's not within him. You know why? Because it's not within love. That is awesome. He doesn't even have the capacity to view you in a negative way. God is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. It doesn't uh, boast. It doesn't hold into account wrongs suffered. It, all of those things concerning love, that's, that is the nature of God because God is love and love is God. It's the exact same, exact same thing. When you read about love, you read about God. He doesn't even have the capacity to hold things that you have done wrong to hold them against you. You hold things against you, but God doesn't hold things against you. Man. That's what you call good news. Aren't you glad that God doesn't hold, that he doesn't hold things against us like we have held against ourselves? You know, there's a lot of forgiveness that needs to happen in this world, but I would say the primary thing, the primary forgiveness that needs to happen with people is right to this person right here. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of times people can't love their neighbors correctly because they don't love themselves correctly. You need, to, you, need to love, you need to see yourself not way up here, but you need to think soberly about yourself because God thinks soberly about you. He thinks you're all that in a bag of chips. He really does. He really thinks that you're amazing. So Jesus came to actually set this right in our heart and our thinking to bring peace between God and man. Hallelujah. And it comes, the more we have a revelation of it, the greater it will come to us. Let's look here in Luke chapter 2. And in verse 13, I only want to read two verses out of this. And I'm going to say some really uh, awesome things here. I think it's awesome. Luke chapter 2, verse 13, and it says, And suddenly there was with the angel, of course there was this angel standing before these shepherds in the field, and it says, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, just imagine this picture. They weren't actually up in heaven, but they were heavenly hosts standing in physical form before these shepherds with the angel that was delivering this message to them. And they begin to say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. How many of y'all have heard this verse before? At some, you've either read it or you've heard it at some point in your life. Let me, see, let me just see a show of hands. Who in here has heard this verse or read it? I think probably pretty much every person in here. All right. I'm going to move some things around for you. This is how we have traditionally interpreted this verse. 
Glory to God in the highest. Now, let me, let me give you a little bit of uh, a Bible interpreting understanding. I, I guess I'll say it that way. When the, when the writers who put this in English form put it in, they put in chapter and verse, commas, periods, those things like that to make it readable. And I'm, aren't you glad that they did? Otherwise, we'd have this whole whatever going, what in the world is this saying? And I think overall that they did a pretty good job. But you have to remember that they put those things in there to make it grammatically correct. But it doesn't mean that it's necessarily, things are necessarily in the right place. So we have to help, have the help of the Holy Ghost to help us see things sometimes. And I was reading this one time and all of a sudden it just became illuminated to me. How we have read this verse is just like this. Glory, and most people, and they're in your Bibles, this is how it's written. Glory to God in the highest, comma. And it's even written like that up there too, which is fine because I didn't have them change it or anything. Glory to God in the highest, comma. And on earth peace, comma, goodwill toward men. So the way we've come to understand this is they're saying glory to God in the highest, and that he's come to bring peace on earth. Well, I can tell you from, uh, in particular, it's in uh, Matthew chapter 10. As a matter of fact, let's go to Matthew 10 and 34, and we're going to come right back to this verse in Luke. But Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, and let's look at this here real quick. Matthew 10 and 34, I want you to see what Jesus said here. Jesus said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. It's not in red up here, but these are Jesus's words. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now you got to read that in context. Otherwise someone could take that and be like, let's kill everybody or whatever, you know, something (laughs) stupid like that. (laughs) That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus loves people. He's not wanting people to be hurt, but he's saying in his, his message in his person was so straight and narrow. I am the way, I am the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus has caused more division in homes probably than just about any other person that's ever lived. There's been entire families separated because someone stood up and said, I believe in Jesus, I'm gonna follow him. I literally know uh, somebody, as a matter of fact, uh, Joseph Z, some of you know who he is. Um, he actually is gonna be coming here this upcoming year. I believe we're, we're trying to work that out. Um, he's an awesome prophet of God. He came in from an extremely wealthy family. We're talking like multi, 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 multi millionaires. And his dad told him, if you keep serving the Lord, you will not have an inheritance. He said, I'm leaving all the inheritance away and I'm serving Jesus. And he's been doing it. His dad actually just passed away, but he lost out on, I believe, probably tens of millions of dollars in inheritance just to serve the Lord. And basically his family wrote him off because of it. This is what Jesus was talking about when yeah. he was saying, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. There's, a, there's a, um, an unintentional, but um, an unintentional separation or division that the gospel will bring to people. And Jesus wasn't trying to bring division, but the message is tight and it's right. Yeah. And you either believe it and you're on board with it, or it basically inoculates everybody else. And, and we, you don't, we don't try to do that, but when people ask, what do you believe? Well, I believe that Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. And, you know, we have this thing called um, relativism. It's got different terms that are put on it, but I've known it as relativism, and it's just like this. 
Everything, and this is the, this is the theology behind it or the, the philosophy behind it, is that God's in the, it's like a wagon wheel and God's in the center of the spoke. In the, in the center, he's the hub and there's all these spokes that go off of it and we're on that outer rim. And you just get on one of those spokes and you'll find your way to God. That's relativism. Everybody's got their own way. I got news for you. There is only one way and that's through putting faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Jesus came and was very divisive with his message. It was the right message, but it was divisive. That's what he was talking about here. So when it talks about, you know, I've come to bring peace on earth, I just want to say that if Jesus came to bring peace on earth, he did a really horrible job. <laughs> I mean, look at, what's go look at what's going on. As a matter of fact, if you, you read in the end of the book, uh, like... Every preacher always says, and I'll say it too, we win, amen, and I love that. We do win. But if you read in the end of the book, you know, you see a little bit of a different Jesus than the Jesus that you saw in the Gospels. You see a Jesus that takes his sword and marches through the lands and kills all the enemies of the Lord, and his, it says that his garment is, is, is soaked in blood from killing. <laughs> it is coming. That's another message for another time, and that's at the end of the tribulation and the, the battle of Armageddon. But anyways, so I don't want to get off track. But Jesus, the way that we've read this verse, now let's go back. You've already got it up there. Praise God, you're on it. Glory to God in the highest, comma, and on earth, peace, comma, goodwill towards men. Let me tell you how I believe this verse is supposed to be read. Let me replace the commas for you. And you're like, is that because you're a Bible scholar? No, it's because I, I got the Holy Ghost, all right? See, this was a host of heavenly, uh, angelic type of beings that were declaring what was getting ready to happen or what was happening with the fact that Jesus was being born. And this is what I believe they were saying. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, comma. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, comma. Why? Because God was no longer just in heaven now he was on earth. He came to set everything right. <laughs> Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was God in the flesh. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, comma, peace and goodwill towards men. Because when Jesus came to the earth, what he did was he came to restore peace between God and man. Yes. It wasn't between man and man. Yes. Right. So, I mean, if it was, then, I, then we have some serious questions to ask the Lord. And I, I know we've got all these Christmas songs, and um, you know, I used to listen to this Vince Gill album growing up, and it was such a great album. Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. That's a beautiful song, but it's not right. I'm not against having peace on this earth, but you can read in the Bible, it's only going to get worse. There's more stuff coming. It's not about having peace on this earth. It's about having peace between us and God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God in the highest and on earth because he's in both places. Peace and goodwill toward men is what he came to bring us. Let me show you this in Romans chapter 5. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to show you a couple other really cool things here. Romans chapter 5. Are you all getting something out of this? Yeah. 
man, I'm getting blessed. Anytime you hear the gospel, if you have ears to hear, it will bless you because it's good news. You know what we need more than anything is we need a reminder of the fact that God loves us, has accepted us, and we have peace with him. Amen. I mean, you read in the Old Testament, and those people were constantly in turmoil with the Lord. I am so glad that I did not live under the time of the Old Testament underneath of some of those kings. Amen. They brought, they brought God's wrath, and they, they brought hell to the people that were underneath of them. I mean, it was, it was awful. But God came with a new and living way through Jesus and brought a new covenant. It was always in God's heart. It was just Jesus was the full expression of who God really, who God really was. Yeah. When you seen Jesus heal, you saw the Father. When you seen Jesus uh, help somebody and set somebody free, you saw the Father. When you heard Jesus spoke or you know, we read what he spoke, we're seeing the Father. And when you saw Jesus die on the cross for all humanity or we read about it, you're seeing the Father. That's who God really is. Listen here in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith. How does justification come? Through faith in him. We have, not that we're going to come to a place, but after we've been justified, we have right now, present tense, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is why anytime we have an opportunity to come into a service like this, or I mean, just really anytime we've got any opportunity during the day and we can rejoice at what God has done for us. If we don't want to rejoice, we're probably just not, we either don't know what he's done for us or we're just not taking the opportunity to think about what he's done for us because it's incredible. There was a time when people lived with a consciousness of sin. And this, this sometimes when I mention, I'll mention this, people are like, well, you need to know when you're doing something wrong and that's what the Holy Spirit is there for. Listen, Holy Ghost don't have to tell people when they're doing something wrong. I mean, sometimes we, we need help in, in, in that. I'm not saying that he doesn't help open up our eyes and stuff, but basically people know when they're doing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now. The goal is, and what the, and that's right, I heard just a conscience or consciousness. That's exactly right. People live with a consciousness of not just what they have done wrong, but actually that they are wrong. It's one thing to be like, oh, I messed up and I don't want to do that again. It's another thing to live with a improper awareness because you've not come into the light of the new covenant and the new birth as far as your understanding has come, it's, it's wrong for us once you have come in, it's wrong period once you get saved to still think like somebody who's not right with God, who doesn't have peace with God. I used to be, when I was younger, I was extremely, I was extremely legalistic. My parents weren't legalistic, but I was legalistic in my thinking. And legalism, is, it's not about taking, taking the, the Levitical law and living by it. I didn't even know what the Levitical law was, but I was still legalistic. Why? Because in my thinking, I believed that I had to do X, Y, Z, and A, B, C, and dot every I, and cross every T, and hold my breath just right, and do all of these things. Otherwise, God would not be pleased with me. 
I mean, I literally believe that. I told the story before, but I remember one night, I was probably, I don't know, 13, 14, something like that. And I, and I went to bed one night and I was tired and I didn't want to brush my teeth. And so I, I thought, I don't think I want to brush my teeth tonight, which, you know, that's not, you should brush your teeth before you go to bed, amen? You brush your teeth for your teeth's sake at night and in the morning for everybody else's sake. Anyways, um, <laughs> Dennis told me that once. But I thought, I don't want to brush my teeth. And I thought, I heard the Lord say, and at the time I said, I heard the Lord say, or I was thinking, God, you just spoke to me. And this is what I thought I heard the Lord say. If you don't brush, I know this is going to sound stupid to some of you, probably to every one of you, and it really should. But, but I was a kid, right? That's exactly right. But I thought, I heard the Lord say, if you don't brush your teeth, I'm going to put a zit on your nose. <laughs> I'm serious. Now, I was, whatever age I was, 13 or 14, the odds of me having a zit on my nose the next day was it's a pretty good chance of it anyways, right? And, uh, but I really, I really thought the Lord was saying that. And sure enough, I don't remember if I brushed my teeth or not that night before I went to bed, but sure enough, the next day I woke up, I had this huge zit on my nose. Now, I don't know if it was coincidence or I don't know, the devil, the devil was messing with me or whatever, but I can tell you that, yeah, right. But it wasn't the Lord that was the thing. Yeah, that's the catch. And thank you. You reminded me where I was going. So that's the thing is that I believed that was God telling me that. And when your view and your filter of God is off, you won't hear the Lord properly. You won't see the Lord properly. You'll think God will tell you things that God never told you. Right. This is why I've come, when I, whenever I have somebody that they got a word from me and I know that they are underneath of legalism, I won't listen to the word that they have for me. Because if you're, if you're underneath of a legalistic law mentality, you are under bondage, you are self-condemned, you are warped, yeah. and you ain't going to hear God right like that. Right. I know because I was one. That's right. That was the kind of person that I was. I'd have an evil heart, but I just wasn't hearing things right because I, he- I didn't see God right. I didn't, I didn't see him in the proper light. And most people live unaware that the new covenant has brought and made peace between them and God. But what Jesus brought in for anybody that would receive it was enough to set them completely free. So we have this thing about like Jesus saving the world and we want to see Jesus save the world. But what people don't need to be saved from is, I mean, they need to be saved from things out in the world, sins and things that would bring harm to them. But what the world really needs saved from is a consciousness that is focused on their wrongdoing focused on their inability to perform. That's what the world really needs saved from. You know why? Because if you think that way, it will automatically make you go to God in your performance instead of in his performance. You'll go in your performance thinking that you don't measure up enough when in all reality you don't in and of your strength and your ability, but it will keep people going there to the Lord and only viewing him through that filter never really fully entering in behind the veil to the most holy place to receive grace and mercy in their time of need. Amen. You know what the world needs to hear more than anything? Put faith in Jesus, and once you do that, you have full, complete, unbarred, 100% total VIP access into the throne room of God. 
and all of the issues you've been having, you go in there and take all of your garbage into the throne room and God will help you straighten that out. Whatever addiction, whatever problem, whatever hang up, whatever demonic issue, anything you're dealing with, you take it into the throne of God. You don't have to get cleaned up first. You take it into the throne of God just like you are before him and God will help you get it straightened out. But if you go in thinking you have to clean yourself to go before the Lord, as if we can ever clean ourselves up enough before God. That's just self-righteousness is all that is. We have to come to a place to where we, we, we throw all that stuff off. Right. To we stop feeling like we have to get ourselves cleaned up to come before the Lord. And just go, you know what, God? Just like the old hymn says, just as I am. The new hymn says, just as I be. <laughs> I'm not really. Not really. <laughs> but just as you be, just as you are, you come to the Lord just like that. You don't have to get cleaned up. Why? Because you have peace with God because of Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. It says right there, therefore, having been justified. You know what it means to be justified? It's really easy to remember. It's just as if I'd. Because see, the deal is, is that Jesus didn't just come to save us from individual sin actions. It's actually the sin nature. Right. I didn't understand this for a lot of years. And if you don't understand that he came to pay the price to change your nature, then what you will find yourself doing is living in a whirlwind of condemnation, thinking you have to confess every single thing that you have ever done if it's going to be under the blood. If that's the case, forget it. We miss it too much. We do. We miss it too much. Now, I'm not against confessing sin. I believe it's right. When you see something that's wrong, say, Jesus, forgive me. I don't want to do that. That's not where my heart is. I want to produce holiness and righteousness out of me, but only as a fruit of who I am and not as a root to try to be something. That's so good. Amen. So we got to come to this place. Where was I going? I was going somewhere with that. Sometimes I'll hear something, I'll hear something else, and I'll go and I'll go, no, I was going over there. You know, you can have full-blown conversations in your head when you're preaching. You get under the anointing. I've had conversations. I've heard, I've heard people say things. I'll get a word of knowledge <laughs> while I'm preaching. So be careful what you're thinking about me right now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't hear and see all that. But sometimes, sometimes I will get words of knowledge and things. And I'll think, my gosh. And then in the, in the middle of preaching, I'll be like, Lord, why are you telling me this right now? As my mouth is moving and still really. It's an amazing thing. The anointing really is an incredible thing. But still yet the mind gets in the way sometimes. And so hallelujah. We have the, oh, being justified. It means just as if I'd never sinned. And we have a new nature in Christ. He didn't, just, he didn't just die for our individual sins. He died to redeem us from the old nature and give us a brand new nature. So even if you've missed it, you're not coming to the Lord based on whether you've done things right or wrong in the last 24 hours. You're coming to the Lord based on the fact that Jesus did all the right stuff on the cross. You put faith in that, and now you have full and complete access to him. Thank you, Father. Because you have a new nature. So I'm, I'm in, I believe in confessing sin. I believe that. 
It's right. But I don't do it to try to be right with God. I do it to keep a humble heart. That's good. Because if, if you have to confess sin in order for God to be right with God, I mean, I believe initially, yes, you must do that. But you're really confessing a sin nature. It's not about individual actions. Otherwise, I guarantee you, especially if you were older when you got born again, I guarantee you, if you were supposed to confess all your sin to get saved, you had better leave here tonight and go back and try to remember as much as you possibly can. You better ask God for dreams. You better ask him for visions. You better ask him for words. You better ask him to take you back into your past because there was things in there that you can't remember that you did wrong, that he remembers. And if you don't confess them, you're not going to make it. I mean, really, if it was based on you confessing every single thing that you did wrong, that's what you would have to do. But it's not about that. It's about a heart turning towards the Lord and saying, God, I can't do it. You can. Jesus saved me. And then you move forward with the Lord. But the goal is, and the deal is, is that he has come to cleanse us from a conscience full of dead works. There's three kinds of works. You'll hear me say this many times. There's three kinds of works. There's good works, there's dead works, and there's evil works. Evil works are very easy, easy to identify. The person that stole my stuff from my car out there, that was an evil work, amen? And if I see him, I'm going to hog tie him, and I'm going to get him saved and then I'll untie him and say, you know what? Be blessed. Enjoy my sunglasses. So anyways, <laughs> but that was an evil work, right? You're stealing and, you know, being mean and nasty to people, whatever. That would be an evil work. But dead works and good works look identical, but they have different heart motive. A, a good work is something you do because you just want to bless God. You just want to bless people. You just want to be helpful. But a dead work is something you do to try to earn something from the Lord, or to keep your status right with the Lord. That's what a dead work is, just like this thing. <laughs> just like you, devil. All right, let's move, move, move. I'm on a roll. I need some battery. Your head's on a roll. Oh, I'm just is no heads going to roll, okay? But, no but to that, it's just, so hallelujah. Um, yeah, so dead works are works that people do to try to get or obtain right standing or favor with the Lord. And the Bible tells us that Christ has come to redeem us, not from good works, definitely from evil works, but primarily from dead works, because until the time of reformation came, see, reformation doesn't mean you throw out everything. It means you revamp what's there. The system was in place for blood to atone for the sin that was there. But the problem was is that the sacrifice was never perfect. It was never good enough. So on the day of atonement, they, the priest, the high priest would go in with the, that, the blood and would make an atonement for the people's sins committed in the past year. And they were all excited probably till about that evening and then they basically all blew it or that week or whatever, depending on how good they really were or whatever. But that's what, it was only to cover, to cover the past. But when Christ came in, 
And he brought his own blood. He brought it in one time into the most holy place for all people for all time. Hallelujah. Meaning that there are no more sacrifices that have to be made. And for us Gentiles, it's like, yeah, well, I wasn't making any sacrifices anyways. But yet we were. It was all of the little things that we would do. It was all the wranglings about in our thinking. It was all of the conversations that we had in the Lord, feeling like things had to be set just right or we wouldn't be accepted. Those are just dead works is all that is. But Christ came to redeem us from dead works that if we can take the reality of the gospel, we can cleanse our conscience from those dead works so that we can freely serve God. Hallelujah. Oh, man. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. I'm going to finish here. And somebody say, I'm blessed because of Jesus and because of this message. This is good stuff. You know, I'm not uplifting me. I'm just uplifting the word. Amen. This is awesome. Isaiah 61. Now, this is what I want to do. I want to go to Isaiah 61, and I also want to pull up Luke 4 at the same time. And we're going to jump from one to the next because I want you to see something. This is very important. We're going to go to Isaiah 61. And we're also going to go to Luke 4. So hold your place in both places. Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. We're going to start with Isaiah 61. In verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach Good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to these words here, okay? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Everybody see that? to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, flip over to Luke chapter 4. Come on. Now let's start in verse 16. We're going to just read a few verses to bring us up to speed here. It says, So he, speaking of Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Does this sound familiar to anybody, yes. right? Same passage from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Man, this is so awesome. <laughs> I just, no, you can't shout yet. Kent, you got to read it. This is awesome. To preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, right? No. Wrong. Look at the next verse. Then he closed the book. That's right. Come on. <laughs> Did you get that? Isaiah was Old Testament. It was Old Covenant. Part of it applied back then. But only part of it applied during Jesus' time. He wasn't declaring the day of vengeance of, of God anymore. That's right. Praise God. <laughs> then he closed the book. Oh, but listen to this. 
I just saw this recently, and I'm like, oh, this gets even better. It says, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Probably thinking, why did he stop right there? And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all who bore witness to him marveled at the gracious, gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Jesus came in and completely, through the cross, completely took all of the judgment, the vengeance, the, the vengeance, the vengeance, all of that was taken and was placed upon him. You know why? So that we could have peace with God. We can have peace with God. First of all, no longer is the Lord bringing judgment on the earth there are a few knuckleheads that you'll hear that are big voices that will, every time there's something, you know, the flood of 93, this is God's judgment on the earth. You know what happened? The Army Corps of Engineers didn't build the levee high enough and it flooded because it rained a bunch. It wasn't God's judgment. Right. Or, uh, Hurricane Katrina, it's God's judgment on New Orleans for being such a sinful city. They built the city below sea level. At some point, it was bound to happen. It wasn't God's judgment. You know how I really know it was God's it wasn't God's judgment though? It's because Jesus right. came That's and right. he took all of the judgment that was due to mankind for their sin and he placed it upon himself. For it says that Jesus was the propitiation and this is in first I forget to look this up first John 4 I think is where it's at. It says that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but for the whole world. The word propitiation means the appeasement of divine wrath by sacrificial offering. Who can tell me where that verse is? Propitiation? Let's read it. We need to, we'll close there. Uh, someone help me out here. Well, just Google the word propitiation. That's what I do. Sometimes people are like, oh, actually, I think I found it. They're like, Pastor, where's this verse at? Text me. And I'll, about 30 seconds later, I'll give them the answer. But that 30 seconds, I was Googling. Where is? <laughs> you don't have to know everything to be a pastor. You just have to be smarter than everybody else. No, I'm just kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> As that was coming out, I was like, that sounds worse than what I meant it to be. I don't think I'm smarter than everybody else. Genuinely, I do not. But I will use Google if I can't find something. Anyways. Is it 1 John 2, 2? It could be 1 John 2, 2. It's also in 1 John 4. Yep, it's 1 John 2, 2 is the one we're looking for. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It says, and he himself, let's pull it up there, 1 John 2, 2. And he himself, 1 John 2, 2. I know I throw you a curveball. Thank you, sir. You do a great job. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Talking about the believers. He was, he was the appeasement of divine wrath by sacrificial offering. Jesus himself, that's why he came to this earth. That's why he was born. And that's why it's glory to God in the highest and on earth, comma, peace and goodwill toward men. Because he himself, speaking of Jesus, 
is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the whole world. Man, that's awesome. It's awesome. You get a hold of that, it'll change the way that you view God. It'll change the way that you, you see him, how you relate to him, how you pray to him. I, I never go, I never, I go to God reverently always in prayer, but never as a beggar. I go to him always willing to serve. In fact, I, I say, yes, sir, I'm yours to command, often to the Lord. He can tell me to do anything, but I have every right to climb up, up on my daddy's lap and flat out just have a loving conversation with him no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm dealing with. I don't go to him as this vengeful God. The people of old were looking for a place where they would enter into this dwelling place with the Lord to where he wasn't out there somewhere, but he was actually close to them. They were looking forward to the day that we're living in right now. And most, most Christians, because they haven't seen the truth of the gospel, are looking forward to going to heaven because they're living in such a hell right now because they don't understand the freedom that they have in Christ currently right now as we speak. Yeah. And we have the freedom because of the fact that he no longer holds anything against us doesn't mean that there's not right and wrong. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. If you're going to live in sin and you're going to do stupid stuff and you're going to do things that are absolutely in violation to the word of God, you're going to reap consequences to that. There's no reason to live like that. But as you're growing, you don't have to be condemned. You don't have to live condemned. See, this is easy for me to preach and to talk about because I lived there for so long. I lived there for so long. And I still yet, even to this day, will find little elements of Kent trying to please the Lord. Like, oh, look at me go. God's like, I ain't impressed. I'm not impressed. <laughs> I have lots of sons, and I was only impressed with one of them, and that was Jesus. <laughs> but at the same time, he's really impressed with us because we're his son. You get what I'm saying? He's just impressed because we're his kid. He's not impressed with how well we do it. It's just kind of like when you got your, your kid, and they're like, it's always like the little boys. They're like, Mom, watch this. Dad, watch this. And they go and they do the tumble or the roll or the flip or the kick or whatever. One of them, we were watching, uh, we were watching some ninja movie. And we were relaxed. And next thing I know, the five-year-old's behind the couch. I watched Ninja Turtles when I was younger. And it was like, the, when the movie was over, me and my brother, the fight was on. We made all the daggers. and all. Anyways, I don't want to get on all that. I don't want to get off on all that. But you have the kid and they'll be like, mom, watch this, watch this, watch this. And they go and do it. And they're like, oh, no, I didn't do it. I didn't do it right. I didn't do it. Let me do it over again. Anybody have kids that do that in here? I remember I did that. My kids do that. And it's like there's something in that I'm like, I want you to be really impressed with me. What they don't understand is we're impressed just because they're, they're our kid. Yeah. We love them just because they're our kid. We don't really care if they can flip and roll and jump or whatever. It's funny, but it's, we don't love them anymore because of it. God's the same way. We can flip and roll and jump and do all the stuff that we think we're impressing God. And he's just, and he's, he just loves us because of who we are. And nothing we're going to do is going to impress God any more than he is already impressed with us through Christ Jesus. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. 
If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.